If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and here we are. We have finally reached the first official game preview episode of the 2020 season. I gotta be real, guys. After some early confidence, like when the coronavirus deal first hit, when we first got into this pandemic, I felt like football was gonna happen. I was trying to have that positive attitude. But as the summer wore on, I really wasn't sure. Increasingly so as the days passed and the months passed and we got deep into the summer. I wasn't sure. You weren't sure. The players weren't sure. The coaches weren't sure. The conference office wasn't sure. Nobody was sure. Nobody knew if this was actually going to happen. This summer, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know for me, it was it was like the worst roller coaster of all time. You know, there were moments where I felt like it was gonna happen, and then there were lows where you felt like everything was just slipping away from us, especially those early weeks of August when you started to hear reports about the Big Ten, the Pac-12, their cancellation being imminent, and you thought the SEC might follow. We didn't know. Obviously, it didn't happen that way, but we didn't know. And uh, it was tough, man. It was just a ridiculous roller coaster. But here we are. And man, it is glorious. SEC football is back and we are ready to roll. As for the show today, I am flying solo on this first foray into previewing each of our 2020 opponents. But Curtis or Charlie, don't worry guys, Curtis or Charlie will be back with me for most, if not all the other preview episodes the rest of the way. And before I get started with the breakdown of the Arkansas Razorbacks, I do have a quick announcement to make, a fun announcement. I actually put this out there on Twitter last night, but I want to make sure all of you who might not use Twitter and other social media apps as much as others out there, I want to make sure you guys are aware of this as well. But if you missed it on Twitter last night, for the very first time, we are running a Glory UGA Pick'em League for anyone and everyone to join and really, it's just a, we thought it would be a fun way for us to kind of increase our interaction with you guys and give you a chance to kind of put your ideas out there and match your wits against mine, against Charlie's, against Curtis's, and, and battle for those bragging rights. But actually, you're going to be competing for more than just bragging rights. So Curtis, Charlie, myself, we're all going to be participating in the league each and every week. We'll have our picks in there for you guys to compete against. And here's the thing. The winner of each week of the competition... We'll have first dibs on co-hosting our Picks of the Week episode with Charlie and I the following week. 
Last year was the first year we had a listener each week join us as a guest host on the Picks of the Week episode to kind of close out each week. And man, that was a lot of fun. Charlie and I really, really enjoyed that. We love interacting with you guys and we really want to just give you guys a chance to join the show and just a small way to say thank you to at least some of you who so loyally support our show. And you guys know how much we appreciate that. We, we've said it many times, man, but we absolutely would not have this show if it was not for you guys. So we like to say thank you any way that we possibly can. No, we cannot have everyone on the podcast. We have too many listeners for that, but we want to get as many people as we possibly can. We thought this would be a really fun way and probably the fairest way to divvy up the opportunities to be on the podcast since there are, there are only so many weeks. I think what we have 10 regular season games. We've got one bye week, so 11 weeks overall in the SEC schedule. So it means 11 opportunities for some of our listeners to join us on the Picks of the Week episode. And we kind of just struck on this as a fun and effective way to figure out how to get people on the show and how to do, how to do that as fair as we possibly could. So if you're interested in that, if you want to have the chance to join us on an episode this year to show everyone how much football you know, this is how you do it. This is the way to do it this year. And even if you're not interested in joining us on the show, and that's not something that you really want to do, it's still just fun to be in the league and kind of compete against Curtis and I and Charlie and I and, and see who can get the highest point total each and every week. These kind of things are part of what makes college football and NFL football, if you're into that kind of thing, it's part of what makes those things fun. So we thought this would be a cool idea to go with this year and to join all you've got to do, if you're on Twitter, if you're on social media, just go to our Twitter page, which is at glory underscore UGA. Go to our profile, click on the link on the tweet that we have pinned to the top of our Twitter account, and it will take you right to our Glory UGA group page on the ESPN Pick'em Pool homepage. So that's, that's pretty easy there if you're on social media. But if you aren't on Twitter and you still want to join the league, no worries at all. I know not everyone's on social media. You can also click on the link found in the description of today's episode on whatever platform you are listening to us on and get in that way. And if that doesn't work for you, if you can't figure that out, just email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com and we will be happy to send the link directly to you guys. That's no problem at all. And it's going to be a confidence pool league through ESPN because personally, I just find confidence pick pools to be the most fun variety of pick and pools. Charlie was a little annoyed with it because she wants to do just straight up picks, but Curtis and I overruled her on that one. So she's she's kind of pouting about that, but it's all good. She'll, she'll get over it. And uh, she actually put her picks in there. She's already made her picks. She let me know today. So I'm in there. Curtis is in there. Charlie's in there. Our picks are in. And if you don't have an ESPN account yet, like, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. Just click on the link on our pinned tweet or the link in the description of this episode, and it will take you directly to our league. Like I told you guys, you just click play now for free because it is entirely free of charge. Then click sign up, join the league, and you are all set to start making your picks. Charlie had to actually create an account because she didn't have one on ESPN, and I asked her how long it took. She told me the whole process took about 30 seconds, and we love Charlie, but she's not exactly tech savvy. So if she can do it in less than a minute, I bet you guys can do it even quicker than that. So it's quick, it's easy, it's fun, and it gives you a shot to serve as a guest host at some point throughout the season. So join right now because you have to have your picks in, I think by Saturday at noon when the first game starts. So get them in as soon as possible so you hit that deadline. And tell your friends, tell family members, tell anyone and everyone, they're welcome to join us. We don't care who it is. Have them come in. We want as many as possible. So it should be a lot of fun, guys. We're really looking forward to being able to interact with you guys through that Pick'em League this year. And we'll certainly be covering that and announcing the winners here on the podcast each and every week. But all right, guys, let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks. And let me start by saying that 
I'm not going to pull like an old Vince Dooley or like an old Lou Holtz. He used to be really bad about this. And act like this Arkansas team is a world beater that's just liable to beat anyone on their schedule. Like, watch out for Arkansas, man. They're coming. Like, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to do that. The fact is, this Arkansas football program, you guys know where they are as a program. They have not won a game, and I mean any game against any team, in 53 weeks. And if you guys don't know how the calendar works, that is more than a full calendar year. The last game they won was against Colorado State. Mike Bobo's Colorado State, September 14th of last year, 2019. But it gets worse than that, guys. They have not won an SEC game since October 28th of 2017. It's literally been 35 months, just one month shy of three years since they have actually beaten an SEC opponent. And they won that game, like that game they won, the last SEC game they won, they won that one by the slimmest of margins itself, 38-37 over Ole Miss. So guys, oh, in 19 over their last 19 conference games. It literally does not get worse than that. And, and, but it kind of does actually. Like in those last 19 consecutive conference losses, not only have they lost those games, they really haven't been close. There might, there's a game here or there where they might have lost by a field goal or so. But if you look at it on average, they have been outscored in those 19 consecutive conference losses. They've been outscored by their SEC opponents. 747 to 353. I suck at math. I'm not a smart man, but I can do that kind of math. That means Arkansas has been doubled up in the point differential in their last 19 games against SEC opponents, all losses. They have lost those 19 games by an average of 21 points a game, an average of three touchdowns, guys. And over the past two seasons, they've been outgained by a total of 7,380 yards to 4,828. So that means they're minus 2,480 yards in their total yards differential over the past two years. I mean, man, it, it doesn't get worse than that, guys. I think you can make a legitimate argument that this is the worst Power 5 program, at least over the past couple of years. And so when that's the situation you find yourself in, and you're also getting blown out at home by, oh yeah, North Texas, like losing by almost four touchdowns at home to North Texas, losing at Colorado State, and then getting embarrassed last season at home by San Jose State, and and costing me money on top of that. Yes, I'm the idiot who actually put money on Arkansas, but it was San Jose State, right? Like, Arkansas is bad, but they can win that game. So I learned my lesson. So on top of all the conference woes, you're losing to teams like that. So when that happens, yeah, you fire your head coach, Chad Morris, less than two years into his tenure. So no, guys, I'm not going to pull a Lou Holtz and talk this team up like they are a dangerous, dangerous team. Like, watch out. They're coming, man. Like, no, we're not We're not doing that today. But saying that, I, I am still a firm believer. Like, no matter, no matter how bad a program is and no matter where a program is in their rebuild, I am still a firm believer in the notion that you, you got to respect all teams that you play. I was kind of just raised that way. Maybe it's a little bit of the old coach in me. It's been a minute now, but that's still in me a little bit. But no matter how big the talent gap is, and yes, guys, it's a massive talent gap in this matchup. It is. But it doesn't matter. You got to be ready to play each and every week. Because if you're not, no matter how much better you are than that team across the other sideline, you can still get beat. 
That's how Appalachian State and the Big House, that's how those type upsets happen. It's when you don't respect your opponent. So no, I, I don't think Arkansas is a team ready to take the SEC by storm in year one under Sam Pittman. I don't think that at all. But I do think they'll be better. And I do think we need to be careful and not make the mistake of just walking in there, looking ahead to Auburn, and suddenly find ourselves in a fist fight. We don't need that. We need to go in there and take care of business from the outset, which I absolutely think we will do. But that, that is the concern. That's the concern in a game like this, that you just roll into Fayetteville, then you can just cakewalk through the game, kind of sleepwalk through it, find yourself getting an easy W. doesn't matter. You don't, you don't really have to have your A game. Kind of looking ahead to the, the tough five-game stretch we have after this one. While Arkansas, on the other hand, is motivated under a new head coach to maybe shock the world, and they just punch us in the mouth. And, and with a quarterback taking his first snaps ever at the college level, all of a sudden, things are a little shaky. But yeah, like that's the worst case scenario. Obviously, that's not the most likely scenario. That is the absolute worst case scenario. I don't think it's going to play out like that, but that's how upsets happen. That's how mega epic upsets happen, is you don't take a team seriously. You don't respect them. Things kind of go against you early. You have a young quarterback and things all of a sudden get out of control, right? I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, you just got to respect your opponent. You just got to respect them. But I do feel like we're going to be ready for this game. You know our guys have got to be jacked up to play a game, any game, regardless of who the opponent is. So I feel good about that. I trust Kirby Smart to have this team ready to play. And ultimately, even if Arkansas, like even if they're coming out and they're ready to play and, and they may make some plays early on, I do think our talent edge should be able to take over as the game wears on and, and we should be able to hopefully pull away. But, you know, I, I do expect them to be ready to play. I expect them to give us their best shot, but I just don't really believe their best shot is going to be good enough if we come and we're ready to play on any sort of level. But even though we do have more talent, and I went through just how bad this Arkansas program has been over the past couple of seasons. It still isn't an Arkansas team that's just completely devoid of talent. They obviously have not been good enough overall to win a conference game in their last 19 tries. Like They haven't been good enough. But they have a couple of uh, what I think are potentially really good players. Not a ton of them, but there's a couple guys you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that guy can play, especially on offense. So let's go there. The, the quarterback is, is almost certainly going to be a guy that we are all very familiar with, and that is old Felipe Franks, who, yes, has transferred over from Florida, went down with an injury, I think it was week three last year for Florida, and then Kyle Trask comes in, and the rest is history. We know, we know how that went. And, and Franks, guys, at this point in his career as a graduate transfer, Franks is what Franks is. He, he's a very physically gifted player. He always was. He always has been a very physically gifted player. But he just hasn't ever been able to quite put it all together above the shoulders. I don't want to call him a head case, but in some respects, yeah, that might fit at times. Things just haven't clicked for him. But he looks the part, man. He's 6'6", 230, big, physical, athletic, strong-armed quarterback. Like This guy looks the part. Like When you draw up a quarterback, like what you want it to look like, it might look something like Felipe Franks. And he has had moments of like lucidity, of lucid play, where you're like, oh, yeah, like maybe this guy actually is decent. Maybe he can be good. But then you see him throw a ball into triple coverage for a late interception in his own territory when his team is trying to ice the game away like he did against Miami in the season opener last year in Week 0. He has some good plays. Like He can make plays. I've seen him make plays. And you're like, whoa, okay, he's got good moments in him. But 
he also has that self-destructive gene that at least to this point in his career, and guys, we're getting really late in his career. He's a grad transfer now. At this point in, in his career, he just hasn't been able to shake that self-destructive gene, especially in big moments in big games. And he's, he's never, like, he's, he looks the part, big, physical, athletic, has all the physical tools, but he's never been an accurate quarterback. He's never completed more than 58% of his passes in a complete season. And, and to just expect that to automatically jump up this year, yes, I know Kendall Bryles is the offense coordinator. He does give his quarterback some high percentage throws at times. He will push the ball vertically on the field, as we'll get to later on. But he'll give some high high percentage, like, screen game kind of passes that can really inflate some completion percentage numbers. But Felipe Franks has never really been an accurate passer. That just he hasn't been that. And and typically by this stage in your career, like that doesn't improve a whole lot. It really doesn't. You kind of are who you are at this point. And a stat that kind of blew me away, I mean, like I know he hasn't been great. He wasn't great at Florida, but he had his moments, but he's never actually thrown. I mean, he had basically two full years, two plus years as a starter at Florida. He's never actually thrown for 300 yards in a game. Never. Not one time. When you go back and look at his game logs, not one time. But saying that, like, he's still capable. I still think he's capable with the physical tools on any given day of kind of just putting it all together. Like, he threatens to do that. Like, it it could happen. The thing is, it's just, it's tough to count on that when you're talking about Felipe Franks because he's just so hit or miss. He really is. But he won't be going at it alone. He actually has some pretty good skill talent to work with, especially at the running back position. I'm really high on their starting running back, Rakeem Boyd. He's a dude. I think this guy's a dude. I watched him a couple times last year. I watched him against Colorado State because I've always been a, a Mike Bobo guy, so I like to watch Bobo whenever I could when he was at Colorado State, and I watched that Arkansas game most of that game. I watched the Texas A&M game when they played them last year. That game was actually pretty close. They had a chance to win that game because I had some money on that game, and uh, fortunately A&M pulled it out because I had money on A&M. But uh, that, that game was closer than it probably should have been, and Every time I watch Arkansas, and I didn't watch, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I watched every Arkansas game. I've gone back the past couple weeks, trying to find as much as I could to prepare for this episode. But obviously with a new coordinator, it's going to be a little bit of a different look for this Arkansas offense. But in what I did see of them last year, Rakeem Boyd is a guy that always flashed to me. I think that guy's a dude. I really do. He can run the football. He's originally a transfer from Texas A&M. He was actually, believe it or not, he's a guy that I don't think your average SEC fan has really heard all that much of. They might not really know who this guy is. You might say Rakeem Boyd, and they're like, huh, who? And I get that. He plays at Arkansas. They haven't won a conference game in 19 tries. I get that. But he was actually the fourth highest rated rusher in the SEC last year in terms of his rushing grade, according to Pro Football Focus. Believe it or not, guys, he was graded in his rushing grade. He was rated ahead of our DeAndre Swift. And... Look, I love DeAndre Swift. I think he was awesome for us. But, I mean, I kind—I don't want to say I completely buy it 100% because I didn't watch every Arkansas game. But what I saw from Boyd, like, it's not completely outlandish. Like, he's, he's a good running back, guys. He was an 1,100-yard rusher last year, averaged 6.2 yards a carry. I mean, that's doing work. Uh, and he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's big enough to run with some power. He's six foot, about 215 pounds, and he does run hard. He's got good speed, maybe not elite speed, but good speed. He can take it to the house. He plays with really good balance, excellent vision as well. I mean, this guy's got the tools. I think he's a really good running back. I think he's a guy they might lean on early in the year with this new offense. But it isn't just Rakeem Boyd. There are other players at the skill positions. They also have a nice trio of wide receivers. And and got Trey Knox, Traylon Burks, and Mike Woods. None of those guys have been elite to this point in their career. But when you watch them play... They've all had their moments, and I think there's certainly a lot of potential in that trio of wide receivers. And again, kind of like with Boyd, when you watch them play, you think, man, these wide receivers are, are actually pretty good. How has how Arkansas not won a game again? Like, Remind me how that has to happen, because they have some, some skill players. 
But the big issue for them last year, it, it wasn't the receivers, man. It was the quarterback position. That was an abject disaster for them. Like a complete and utter dumpster fire. Guys, they had five different starting quarterbacks last year. And as a group, they completed 47% of their passes. Oy, that's tough, man. That's tough to do. They were 103rd nationally passing offense. Quarterback was a major problem. It, but to me, it wasn't about the receivers. It wasn't there. Yeah, the offense, the passing offense was bad. But I don't think the receivers were the issue. They've got talent there. There's potential there. The quarterback was the problem. And if you look at those three receivers, they had two big true freshmen. Traylon Burks was their leading wide receiver as a true freshman, had 29 catches for 475 yards. He led them in, in total receiving yards. And, and he's a big dude, 6'3", but 235, big, powerful receiver. Does a good job of getting off press coverage on the outside and go up and win at the top of the route. And you got Trey Knox, who put up 385 yards himself as a true freshman on 28 receptions. This dude's a little thinner, but he's 6'5", 200 pounds. Those are two big physical receivers, rising sophomore receivers. They got a lot of experience last year as true freshmen. And I think if they had a better quarterback work with them, they could have put up even bigger numbers. Those guys are legit. They can play. And then to complement them, you got Mike Woods. He's a little bit smaller, about 6'1", about 200 pounds. Had a little over 400 yards receiving last year. Actually led them in receptions with 33 catches on the year. And he's a really smooth athlete. He's a guy that works in the slot a little bit more. Different than Burks and Knox, but talented in his own right. So honestly, like again, when you watch them play last year, it's it's kind of like, what? Like It's somewhat amazing how bad that passing offense was last year when you have these guys to work with. It's really is. It's a, it's a testament to just how bad their quarterback play was last year. So I know that Felipe Franks isn't great, but you have to believe he's going to be an upgrade over what they had last year. I mean, it was a revolving door. They were all just flat out terrible last year. Really, it's what got Chad Morris fired. He just could not find a quarterback. So these are, I think these are some really nice skill pieces for new offensive coordinator Kendall Browse coming over from Florida State. I think these are some good skill pieces for him to work with in his first year on the job there in Fayetteville. Now, the offensive line was subpar last year. They weren't great. They graded out kind of middle of the pack in the, in the, in the run grade. They came in 76th overall, according to Pro Football Focus, in their run grade, but they were 92nd in their pass grade. So, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of a wash there. They, they were, they were, let's say they were slightly below average up front last year, according to Pro Football Focus's grades. If you watch them play, you kind of get that feel too. And there was, but there's gonna be a lot of youth up front this year. They're projected to start three redshirt freshmen this this Saturday. We'll see if that actually transpires, but that's what they're projected to do right now. I do think Sam Pittman will get that unit up to par. I just don't expect it to be in week one or really even year one. Give the guys some time to recruit some offensive linemen. I think he can get those guys in there and he'll coach him up. He'll do a good job. I think he's a better recruiter than he is an offensive line coach, but he's good on both fronts, but just an elite offensive line recruiter. But I just don't think it's going to happen for him this year. But all in all, the pieces are there for this offense to be far more productive than, than they were last year. I think it really all hinges on the quarterback play. Like, can Felipe Franks finally put it all together? Can he do that? History would tell you no, but who knows? Like, you know, maybe, maybe it all clicks this year. Maybe it happens. It's happened before. Maybe it clicks in his final year as a grad transfer. You never know. But if you look at his history, he'll have some good moments, but he'll also have that moment that just flat out kills his team, that might lose his team a game. All right, guys, before we move on to the next part of this breakdown, I got to tell you about our friends at MyBookie. You guys know we are all excited about the return of SEC football. College football has been back for a couple weeks. That's been awesome. I've been putting some bets down, been, been raking in some cash, a little bit here and there. But now the SEC schedule is upon us. It's back, and we are rolling, guys. And now is the time to show your faith in the dogs, put some money on them to win these games, 
and really just, just show off all that football knowledge that you have, guys. The college football season, it is in full swing right now. And winning season has returned at my bookie, which means doubling your first deposit. It means watching live sports, betting live. College football's back. The SEC's back. NFL is in full swing. We've got the NBA playoffs going on. There are sports all over the spectrum. And it's time for you to get in on the action by using promo code OVERTIME and doubling your first deposit. If you're a brand new player to my bookie, man, this is a great deal. You get up to $1,000 in free play just to add a little bit more excitement to your college football weekends. So bet with the best this football season for your chance to win big. Again, just use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my booking. Guys, we still got about a week left in the promotion that OVERTIME, the company that we're partnered with, that they're running right now. For all of our listeners, we're giving away 500 bucks in cash to one lucky person. And all you gotta do is take advantage of this offer, this MyBookie offer. Go to MyBookie, sign up, make your first deposit, take a screenshot of your MyBookie account and just email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. $500 given away to one lucky winner at the end of September. But all right, let's get back to this Arkansas preview. Maybe what I'm most intrigued about when looking at this offense it's a guy I mentioned a second ago, new offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles. I know most people, when they think Bryles, when they hear that name, they think his dad, Art, right? Art Bryles at Baylor with his innovation, with the spread offense, RG3, all of that, right? Kind of bringing Baylor to relevancy. So I think the tendency is to believe that Kendall Bryles just kind of throws the ball all over the field because I think that's what people feel like Art Bryles did kind of just like a Mike Leach air raid style offense, but that's just not the case. That's not really what he does. Yeah, the Browse offenses are, are spread based. They certainly are, but like so is just about every offense these days, some more than others, but virtually every single offense in America these days incorporates some version of the spread. Those principles are in there. They're embedded in these offenses. And yeah, his dad, Art Bryles, was very innovative at Baylor and using all parts of the field. And Kendall was there with him. He, he was the offense coordinator, not necessarily the full-time play caller, but offense coordinator at Baylor. He was there with him putting that offense together. But those Baylor offenses, guys, I know it's been a couple years. Let's not forget, they ran the football. Yeah, they spread you out and they had these insane wide receiver splits like all the way almost on the sideline. And they did that so they could kind of just spread you out and create space for the run game and then hit vertical play action shots off of that when you overcompensate to take away the run. It really was kind of like a much better version of what Gus Malzahn has been trying to run at Auburn. Like Malzahn's offense, when it first came into the college ranks, like it was it was innovative, right? Like it was, it was like, whoa, like what is this, what is happening here? But he got really stale. People figured out what he was doing and he just really did not innovate much at all after what he initially brought to, to the planes in the first place. But I use the Malzahn comparison because just like Malzahn, Art Bryles and Kendall Bryles, they want to spread out the defenses. They want to spread the offense out, to spread the defenses out, to be able to run power football right at you. It's, it's really kind of a, a spread to run offense. It really is. It doesn't mean they don't throw the ball vertically down the field. It doesn't mean that. But they want to run the football. They want to create space to run the football and operate off of that. You know. So if you look at, at Ford Atlantic in 2017, Kendall Bryles, when, when, when Lane Kiffin took that job at Ford Atlantic, he gave Kendall Bryles full control of that offense, calling plays, whole nine yards. And in 2017 at FAU, the Owls actually ran the ball 65% of the time. They finished number six nationally in rush offense that year with Kendall Bryles calling the plays. Guys, those are Georgia offensive numbers. That's what we did under Jim Chaney, right? Like 
That's what they were doing at FAU. I know people think with Lane Kiff and Kendall Browse, oh yeah, they were spreading the field. They were throwing the ball over the place. No, no, they were not in 2017. That's when they had a really good year. They had that run in Conference USA when they were beating a lot of teams. And they were running the ball, guys. They ran the ball far more than they threw it. And that was the name of the game for them offensively. Then he gets the job at Houston as their offensive coordinator in 2018. He's got De'Eric King to work with. And he kind of flipped the script that year. He only ran the ball 53% of the time in 2018 at Houston, but it was still very balanced. It wasn't super passive. He was actually, he actually leaned towards the run, much more balanced, but leaned more towards the run. And he ended up finishing with a top 20 passing offense. So he's done it both ways. I think this is a guy that can absolutely, if you look at his history, can work with the talent that he has on hand. And if you look at last year at Florida State, yeah, we know it all kind of fell apart because that program was just a mess. And they had and still have no quarterback. Like we all saw what happened to Florida State against Georgia Tech. I mean, Georgia freaking Tech, right? But even with all the issues at Florida State last year, I still think it would have been even worse, if you can imagine that, without Kendall Bryles there. I really do without him calling the plays. But we don't care about that. What we care about is what will his system at Arkansas look like this weekend in week one of the 2020 SEC season. And I'll admit, guys, it's tough to know for sure. Just like it is, just like it's tough for Arkansas to know for sure what our offense will look like this weekend. But just like the Arkansas coaching staff has to kind of go off of a combination of what Todd Munkin has done at past stops, kind of combined with the personnel he has to work with here, the personnel that we have on hand. I think on this show, that's what we have to do as well. We have to do the same thing. Let's look at what kind of personnel that Browse has to work with, which you kind of already talked about with the three receivers and you got Rakeem Boyd, obviously Felipe Franks, the quarterback. But you also have to look at what Kendall Bryles has done at pass stops. And if we're going off Bryles' past, he has, again, he's featured a strong power run game, complete with pulling linemen the whole nine yards, stuff that I love to see, actually. But they again, they just do it with extreme spacing by the wide receivers. It, it really, what they're doing is they're kind of playing the numbers game. It forces you to play the numbers game defensively and makes you pick your poison. And they'll take a lot of vertical shots off of play action. But guys, it really, I'm going to go back to the, the spacing. It really is the spacing of the wide receivers that is the key to what Kendall Bryles does offensively. And when I say spread out, when I say spacing, I mean they space out their receivers. They spread them out like two yards outside the numbers. That's what kind of splits we're talking about. Two yards outside the numbers. Insane stuff. So why does that matter? Like who cares if they're spreading the receivers out further than other teams? Why does that matter? Like what is the purpose of that? Let me try to explain that. So number one, what it does is it removes bodies, defensive bodies, even further from the box, making it easier to run the ball. It's pretty simple, guys. Think about this concept. The closer your wide receivers are to the rest of the formation, the closer the defenders are, which means they are more effectively able to play coverage and fit against the run at the same time. That's one of the issues I had with all these bunch sets we always did with Chaney and Coley. It's like, oh my God, yeah, we know we want to run the football. And I, I get it, you bunch you bunch of receivers there because you get blocking angles and it, it helps in that regard. But what it also does, to me, it kind of negated any advantage you had with your angle blocking because it had all these bodies there in the box. It's just too many bodies, too much traffic there. Bryles is the antithesis of that. That is the opposite of what he wants to do. And when a guy like Bryles spreads out his receivers as far as he does, it makes it so much more difficult to move outside the box to cover a wide receiver, but also fit back against the run in the box if the team runs it, right? If if, if the, uh, the Arkansas offense is going to run the football. So it puts the linebackers, it puts the safeties, and it puts the slot defenders into serious conflict. And they just got to pick their poison, which is kind 
kind of what the offense wants to do. You want to put the defense in conflict, make them pick one choice, and then you go with the opposite. Like what if they choose run, then you go, you pass. If they choose pass, then you run the ball. You play the numbers game. That's what it's all about for Kendall Browse's kind of offenses. So I mean, again, if, if they shade, like if you, if your defender shades towards the box, then Browse is going to sling it out to the wide receivers in space. If your defender, if your overhang defender shades towards the wide receiver, well, now the offense has the numbers in the box and they're going to run the ball on you. So that's the first big reason why this matters and why it makes them tough to handle offensively. Now, the other big reason why these extreme wide receiver splits is it's such an effective tool for an offense is that it makes it really difficult for a single high safety playing some form of middle of the field closed defense, whether it's cover three, cover one, whatever. It makes it really difficult for them to provide help over the top on vertical routes. I mean, it's simple, guys. It's it's just literally further for them to run. And that extra yard or two they have to go by virtue of the extreme wide receiver splits outside the numbers, that can often be the difference, guys. That can often result in big plays in the vertical passing game. You just can't get there. But it doesn't stop there. If you can't effectively defend vertical shots with a single high safety look defensively, then that means you are going to be much more predictable in what you do from a coverage standpoint defensively. It effectively takes coverages out of the toolbox of a defensive coordinator unless he has some super rangy safety that can make those plays. Oh, I don't know, maybe a guy like Richard LeCount. So instead of having a full arsenal of coverages to work with, the offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, knows there's a really good chance the defensive coordinator is going to be working with some variation of a too high safety coverage, which means more cover two, more quarters, or maybe two under. And the knowledge of that, knowing that you have really reduced the number of coverages that a defensive coordinator has at his disposal by virtue of what you're doing with your receivers and splitting them out so wide, well, that allows you to attack that defense much more effectively, much more efficiently, because you just you can predict more effectively what they're going to do, what coverages they're going to be in. And so it seems like such a small little adjustment, but it really does, guys. It has a massive impact on the game. And so I can assure you that Bryles will employ the same type of wide receiver splits against us. I can't tell you, I can't predict exactly what he's going to do with, with his entire scheme, but I can tell you the wide receiver splits, those extreme splits, will be a part of what they're doing in an effort to try to stress our defense and just make us more predictable. Like when you are out talented, like they're going to be, the way to counteract that is just try to force us to be as predictable as possible so that they can call plays, dial up things, that can take advantage of what we're trying to do. So the question becomes, do we have the personnel to handle those splits? And does Bryles have the personnel to make it work this year? I think if you look at their personnel with Felipe Franks, as we talked about, he does have a great arm, guys. He does. Like He has the arm to push the ball vertically, because that's one thing. When you put your receivers further out there, outside the numbers, it is a little bit of a, yeah, it's longer of a way for the for the safety to give help over the top, but it's also a little bit of a longer throw, so you got to have a good arm to make those throws, and Felipe Frank certainly has that arm to be able to make those kind of throws. And they do, guys. They have a good trio of wide receivers, including a couple of big-bodied dudes that can go up and win at the top of the route. They have those guys. But I feel a little bit better because we have a couple of rangy safeties, you know, Richard LeCount, Lewis Seen, that might still be able to go over the top. Maybe that doesn't take away the single high looks for us. And, and look, we really like to roll with two high safety looks most of the time anyway. Kirby's really moved in that direction. Doesn't mean we won't run some cover three here and there or some cover one, but that's not what we do by rule. Like We'll work that in there. You can't be completely predictable, but we have increasingly gone with more and more two high safety looks over the past couple of years to prevent against the big plays. That's really what Kirby's emphasis is there. 
I personally think the big challenge for us against this Arkansas offense is going to be, especially with Rakeem Boy, I think he's a really good running back. Can we handle their run game with a light box, without as many defenders in that box? Because if we're going to play with two high safeties the majority of the game, which is what we've liked to do in the past, I mean, maybe we have a different game plan here, but that's what we've kind of moved towards. That means we're going to have an inside linebacker pulled out of the box as an overhang defender between the slot wide receiver and the box. And that's going to result in a lot of five defenders on five offensive linemen looks inside that box. So when you have five on five like that, that typically is an advantage offense. Like that, that favors the offense. They get a hat on a hat and that's kind of what they're going for. That's a numbers advantage for them. You always want to be plus one as a defense. So when you're in that situation where there's five defenders in the box, five offensive linemen there to block them, I think a guy like Jordan Davis is going to be the key here. I think he's going to be key. If he can be that immovable object that eats up multiple blockers, then that all of a sudden, now that gives us the numbers advantage in the box game. We take that back. We're going to have a plus one scenario if you can, if he's going to force two blockers to block him on every single play. Like If he can do that consistently, we're going to be in good shape. But we're, going to, we're, we're likely going to have to win up front, guys. We're going to have to, in order to take away this run game, if they do what I think they're going to do, I think we're going to have to win up front. That's just how you beat teams that scheme it to where they have a numbers advantage in the run game. You just got to win one-on-one up front. We're going to need Jordan Davis to the blockers. We're going to need Malik Herring and Devontae Wyatt to play big. And who knows, maybe even have Jalen Carter show what he is all about, get some action in there, and win some of those one-on-one matchups. But like, look, guys, it, it's going to be a, a challenge if Felipe Franks is hitting those vertical shots. If he's hitting those vertical shots, and keep us honest in, in that regard, it's going to certainly make it much more challenging for us to defend this Kendall Browse offense. But look, I, I do think we have the defensive personnel safety, and I think we have the personnel up front to find a way to neutralize it, at least to a good enough degree to, to, to win this game. And we do have the talent edge there, especially up front. So I think we can win enough of those one-on-one matchups in that box to at least keep the run game in check. Hopefully get them to third down situations where we really get creative and get nasty and, and kind of take Kendall Bryles and, and Felipe Franks out of what they want to do offensively. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Now defensively, let's move to the defensive side of the ball here. They were very bad last year. Let's just say that. Let's make it as simple as possible. They were very, very bad defensively. Let, Let me give you some numbers to back that up to illustrate just how bad they were. Let's go rapid fire through this. They were 124th nationally in scoring defense, 124th nationally in points per play allowed. They were 110th nationally in total defense, 116th in yards per play allowed, 122nd in rush defense. Whoa, they were 69th in pass defense. We got something going here. Oh yeah, but they were 108th in yards per pass allowed. Guys, they gave up 471 yards a game versus their eight SEC opponents. Yikes. And here, this is a crazy stat too. This kind of lends credence to what I said earlier. Like You can make an argument this has been the worst Power 5 team over the past three or four years. I mean, I know Rutgers will certainly be in that conversation. Kansas would be in that conversation. But over the last three years, they have been, Arkansas has been dead last in scoring defense average over the last three years combined. Dead last in America. They absolutely have had one of the, if not the worst defenses in America over the past three years. I know this is a new year. 
I know this is a new year. Yeah, that was last year. They've got a new coordinator and Barry Odom coming over from Missouri. I have a lot of respect for him. But let's be real. How much are they fixing in in one year? How much can you fix that of what was wrong last year in one year? And to make matters worse for Barry Odom as the new coordinator, as bad as the defense was last year, they're actually losing their best players off of that unit. Believe it or not, they're actually losing their best players off that unit. They're losing guys like Dejon Harris, who was their leading tackler at linebacker. They're losing Matelvin Asiam, their leading sacker last year. Cameron Curl, their top player in the secondary. Those guys are all gone. Those are their three best players off of a terrible defense from last year. So it's kind of tough to rebound when you're losing your best players off of, off of an already nightmarishly bad unit. But Barry Odom, you know, he, he, he was able to land a couple of transfers from Power 5 schools that you got to figure are going to come in and factor in immediately. He got Xavier Kelly from Clemson, who really never played for Clemson. It was a former four-star player coming out of high school, but never really could crack the lineup for Clemson. And then, you know, Clemson's got elite players up front, so that kind of makes sense. Another former four-star recruit, Levi Draper from Oklahoma. They, so they've got a couple of transfers coming in right away that they think can maybe help them a little bit. We'll see. Those guys haven't done much at the college level yet, so it, it's tough to count on that completely, but they were talented guys coming out of high school. These highly rated guys coming out of high school. Probably their top returning defender is a guy with an awesome name. His name is literally Bumper Pool. Bumper Pool, an inside linebacker. I remember watching this guy last year, you know, after you get over the shock of like his name is Bumper Pool. You actually see he's a pretty good player, man. He's a good linebacker, 6'2", 230, runs, runs well at that position, strikes well, good athlete. He's a guy that, that, you know, he's an active player from that linebacker position. And I think he will be the guy for them on that defense. He will be their best player, at least coming into the season on this Arkansas defense. Now, if Dwan Mathis is the guy in this game, which I fully expect him to be, unless Kirby is just pulling a fast one on all of us with the whole mystery about JT Daniels clearance. And is he going to be clear? Is he not going to be clear? Like we don't know. If Mathis is going to be the guy, which again, I think is going to be the case, I do expect Barry Odom schematically to try to force the issue and throw some exotic things at Mathis. And I will be honest, that does concern me to a degree. I think you have to be concerned on some level with a guy taking his first ever collegiate snaps. As excited as we are to see what Mathis can do, as great of a story as it is, like this guy is still taking his first ever collegiate snaps. He is. And that that has to be concerning in, in some regard. Yeah, I guess if you're going to be taking your first collegiate snaps against an SEC opponent, you'd want it to be Arkansas, at least over the past couple years. And, and look, I, I trust Todd Munkin to be aware of this likelihood, the fact that Odin's probably going to try to force the issue and throw some things at Mathis. And so I, I expect that he's going, to, he's going to anticipate that. And I think he's going to put together a good game plan to counteract that. But yeah, it does concern me on some level with Mathis coming in there and a good coordinator like Barry Odom, although he doesn't have a ton of talent to work with, trying to get creative and throw some things at Mathis that he hasn't really, well, he hasn't dealt with anything really at the college level. So that, that has to be at least a concern on some level. And look, guys, I know we're all excited to see our new offensive scheme in action. Like I'm definitely excited and kind of get a look at some of our, our, our shiny new toys. But I do think it's going to be really interesting to see just how aggressive of a game plan that Todd Muggan comes out with on offense. It is, it's two new staffs, new defensive staff for Arkansas, new offensive staff for us. Both have had a truncated offseason to work with. They're going to be filling each other out with incomplete information to kind of game plan off of. So it's, it is, guys, it's extremely difficult to know exactly what to expect. But what I do expect 
is for us to open with a relatively conservative game plan. I do expect that. I know we want to see the shiny toys and we want to see crazy things go on. We want to see big plays and hopefully we'll hit some of those. But I do expect it to be conservative, at least early on in this game. And look, I'm not saying that we're going to run the ball every time, but I do think we're going to try to establish the run game, throw some quarterback run game in there as well. Give Mathis some easy throws, get his feet under him, get the running backs involved in the pass game, some of those high percentage throws, get the screen game going, which Munkin has a history of, of using in his past. Move the pocket with Mathis's athleticism. Use that by getting him on the move, stressing defenses that way. Work the play action game as well. And, and, and of course, you got to throw in a few shot plays here and there to keep them honest and try to hit some plays down the field. But that's kind of what I would do coming to this game. Now, of course, I trust Todd Munkin far more than I do myself. He knows what he has to work with. But I think when you, when you factor everything in with, with a with a redshirt freshman quarterback who's getting his first game action at the college level, I think you got to try to ease him in in some way there. Now, maybe you have a certain package for him. You want to take some shots early on. Now, I'm fine with that, but let's not, let's not get too crazy. Let's get, let him kind of get a comfort level, get his feet under him, and then take it from there. And and look, while obviously also, I mean, you do whatever you have to do to win a game. It would also be great to be able to win this game without maybe pulling every trick out of the out of our offensive bag. And look, I'm sure Munkin will operate from that perspective until he's given a reason to do otherwise. So yeah, I think that's another reason kind of leading me towards thinking that we're probably going to come out with a more conservative game plan than we will maybe in the coming weeks. Hopefully we won't have to show everything because we've got Auburn up next week and then got Tennessee and you got Alabama staring you down the road here in a couple weeks. So hopefully we can do that. And also it just makes sense. You want to ease Mathis into his first start and kind of just help him build an early comfort level in his first start, a first road start, first start period, but certainly in his first start on the road. And all right, guys, I know it's just me today, but we always like to wrap up these preview shows with our three, two, one segment where we give you three reasons to be confident in our chances, two causes for concern, and then one key to the game. All right, for my three reasons for confidence in this game, number one, just quite simply the talent edge and really the coaching edge as well here. I think we have the better coaching staff. I think we have clearly the more talented roster. It's really not even close. They do have some talented players, just not near the volume of talented players that we have. So that's certainly a big factor here. And as I mentioned earlier, my number two reason for confidence is Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis alone. I think he's the key to slowing down this Arkansas run game when they spread things out as much as they do to try to manufacture that numbers advantage in the box. I think Davis can negate that if he comes to play and can force double teams consistently. I think that will certainly help us out slowing down their run game and really kind of taking them, taking them out of what they want to do. And my third reason for confidence is really just experience on defense. All that experience that we have on defense when you're going on the road and you're facing a team that has a brand new offensive coordinator that you don't really know what to expect from. You've seen what he's done in the past, but this is a new team new players to work with. So you don't exactly know what to expect, kind of what they're facing with Todd Munkin on the other side. The fact that we have so much experience on defense and so much talent we're trying on defense, I think that certainly helps us be able to adjust to things on the fly a little bit quicker than we than maybe another team would that doesn't have near as much experience we're trying on defense. So that does give me some confidence in, in working against the Kendall Bryles offense. And I have a lot of respect for Kendall Bryles. And I think he does a great job structuring his offense and scheming things up. And when you, when you can't really fully prepare, like you only have so much information to work off of, like that is a dangerous situation to walk into. But when you have the experience coming back on defense like we do, I think that certainly alleviates some of those concerns. Now, my two reasons for concern, I think there are some reasons for concern. I, 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 and I'm kind of overstating this. I get that. But like Pittman's familiarity, Sam Pittman's familiarity with what we do, more so defensively than what we do offensively. Obviously, we have a new offensive staff or at least an offensive coordinator coming in this year. But 
Pittman knows what we do defensively. Like he's gone against that in practice. Like he's been in meetings. He understands what we do defensively. He's, he's coached there, right? But I'm not overly concerned by this. I don't want to play this up too much. Just Kirby, this is not a new thing for Kirby. He's been in this situation before. Hey guys, we just played Jim Cheney last year as offense coordinator at Tennessee. He knew what we like to do offensively too and how that worked out for him. So it, it's not a make or break kind of thing, but it's still something to think about. It's something I would rather not have. Like I'd rather not have that kind of familiarity with what we do. It does give me just the slightest bit of concern there. And then my second reason for, for concern is the matchup with our cornerbacks on their wide receivers. Look, guys, I love our cornerbacks. I think they're really, really good. I love Eric Stokes. I love DJ Daniels. And I think Tyson Campbell is ready to, to really come on this year. But especially when you're looking at Stokes and Daniels, they're just outsized, I guess is the way I would say it when you look at these Arkansas receivers. Stokes and Daniels both are listed at 6'1", 185. Not necessarily like small, but not big either. When you got Trey Knox coming at 6'5", 200 pounds, and Traylon Burke, 6'3", 235, just from a size standpoint alone, that's kind of a matchup issue. And I like our corners. I think that they can, they can hold their own. They've played some big receivers before. But that size advantage for Arkansas, especially in the red zone, could certainly be a factor. It's certainly something to watch there. You might see Tyson Campbell as the game wears on get more and more snaps if he's healthy. I know he wasn't healthy with that last scrimmage because he kind of just, he has a little bit more size. He's got more length to him than Stokes and Daniels do. So he might match up better with a guy like Knox and Burks. But that's just something to watch in this game. And then finally, my one key to this game, it's simply kind of going back to what I said with Jordan Davis. How do we handle the Arkansas run game with a light box? Can we handle that when it's five defenders on five offensive linemen in the box? Because we're going to see those situations. Can we win enough one-on-one? Can Jordan Davis eat up enough blocks to free up some guys and take back that numbers advantage of the box? Slow down Rakeem Boyd, who's a really good player, and kind of force them out of their game. I really think that's the key of the game. If Jordan Davis comes to play and he has an A game, then I think we're going to be in really, really good shape in this game. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Had a ton of fun here with our first preview of the 2020 season. Charlie and I will be back with our first guest host of the season on our pick show at the end of this week. We're going to have a lot of fun with that, so make sure to check back with us. And make sure you go, guys, and sign up for our Pick'em League. You can do that on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. Just look at our pinned tweet. You can also click on the link in the description of this episode if you're not doing social media, or you can just email us, gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, and we can send that link to you directly. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>